Hi, John. Hi, Joe. Um, well, it's been a while, hasn't it? Let me dust off the cobwebs from my old-time radio mic. What dust about you? off my larynx. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't spoken since we last met. I've not yeah. been out of the house. There's a layer of dust on your larynx. I, I can know. see it from here. It's on my top lip. You thought it was a, a fetching moustache, yeah. but no. That's that, that's that's where the rich sibilance comes from, I just realised now. I'm like an abandoned aspidistro in a forgotten office. Um, hi, anyway. What a, what a poignant, downbeat way to start a podcast. Well, that's got them interested. Um, right, Joe, so this is a bit of a, uh, an outre, unusual mm. version of the Stalemates podcast. Indeed. Well, if you will. Indeed. Usually we're a podcast about a thing. This, in this particular edition, we're a podcast about a very specific thing. I mean, in, in, when you put it like that, it's exactly the same as all the other ones. Yeah. But there's no poetry corner. No. Nope. There's no fun facts. No. There's nothing of the usual stuff we fling at it. Basically, yeah. we've dismantled the format. There's nothing here. We've exploded it and forgot to reassemble yeah, it, basically. Is, this is just smoke without even mirrors. Yeah. Mirrors are dangerous and not allowed to have them. The shards cut and bite. Ouch. It's a ruin. It's a ruin of a thing. Uh, we've dusted the last of the masonry from our shoulders and we're walking towards you <laughs> with a recording device. And this is what we're talking about. We're going to talk about a film. We're all scared to name this film, aren't we? It feels like it's summoning something terrible. Well, John, this film's been known by many names. Shagarama in certain territories. Uh, Houdini and Co. in other Uh, territories. The Geist, the Ghost of Magic. The Geist and Magic. The Ghost of Magia. Um, uh, But really what it's known as, for some reason, which is never really properly explained in the film, (laughs) is the Linguini Incident. That's right, the 1991 Dick Shepard extravaganza starring David Bowie. Oh yes, was a was a was a. David Bowie described himself as being quite pleased with this film, and I quote, "Quite pleased." What's his reaction to the film? They didn't even put that on the poster. I uh, think that's terrible. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> Two and a half stars. Quite pleasing. Let me say, quite pleased. Not my words. The words of David, David Bowie, Bowie, star of the Linguini star Incident. of Tin Machine at this point. Um, but John, um, any reason why we're covering the Linguini Incident? He said, knowing the answer to this. I actually of... don't know the answer to no, this. No, I don't know the answer to this either. Uh, we're covering this because we've just seen it quite recently for the first time. I don't think you'd seen it before, Joe. Never. No. I certainly hadn't. No. You hadn't even heard of it before. Shall we back? I had heard of it. What? Oh, you had? I'm not okay. a fool. I'm aware of his I book. misremembered that particular fact. No, no, no. If we pan back to 1991 where I'd be a boyish 20 Oof. and you'd be about Three or something at that point. Anywhere between three and seventeen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, David wasn't cool. And for the entirety of my, I say adult. Yeah. Adult for three years at that point, he had never been cool. That's Um, actually true. He was slap bang in the middle of the Grand Folly, now known as Tin Machine. Yeah. Then known as Tin Machine. Which now I know you have some time for. Um, but then, I mean, I looked at him and he was impossibly old. He was 44. Yeah. Which, if you think about it, and he had, insanity. He, and he had like a beard. He had a short clipped beard. He had a beard. I think he may have had a tiger tooth earring. Indeed he did. Yeah. Um, they were wearing suits. They had the tiniest guitars you ever saw. Tiny headless guitars. 
He was in a band with two brothers who were both idiots. Yeah. And Reeves Gabriels, I think. Gabriels, is it? Gabriels. I think he says Gabriels, everybody else says Gabriels. Yeah, right. he says Gabriels. I'm going to go with Gabriels now. Yes. Um, who, you know, I, I saw the other day looking frankly confused. Was that at Sainsbury? Uh, no, it was in the Cures set at Glastonbury. Ah. But similar. <laughs> No, I, I said he looked like he came from he'd just come in from a heavy lunch at Rick Stein's yeah. and couldn't believe he had to do this set more savoury selections at Sainsbury's I would say yeah he's got he was plucking away like ding ding yeah. ding 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 he did it on guitar that's I very bizarre. That was amazing and also what remarkable restraint from the guy who was lead guitar in Tin Machine well I believe he was known as the squonk um, because I didn't we've had this conversation before Did, didn't he just hand him a cassette and say this is all the stuff I can do and it yeah. was just it was just a cassette of mad guitar music. yeah yeah scronking yeah. <laughs> atonal scronking I believe it like, was my guy yeah, yeah. And boy what hello a bit of Adrian Bellew mixed with the, the loose funk of Carlos Alamo never mind that I'll have you Gabriels that's my boy impersonation that's very good yeah yeah thank you He's, he was in um, but he, I think boy to be fair to boy to do a bit of boy history here <clears throat> boy had just come out of the Never Let Me Down album and the Glass Spider Tour which wasn't received particularly well with La 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 Human Steps La La Human Steps mm -hmm. great troop Gaffer Tape Across the Nipple Troop well in those days it was a it was de rigueur yeah you know? knee pads and gaffer tape knee pads and gaffer tape and rollerblades yeah yeah anyway Boy wasn't happy with the direction he was going Gabriel's fine him at that no moment no one was happy with that direction well well but little did we know the horrors that were to come Gabriel slipped the cassette in, into his hand at a, at a cocktail party the cocktail the, the cassette being the, the scronking aforementioned next thing you know Tim Machine's being formed was this, really, yeah, was this literally at a cocktail party yeah, I believe it was at a cocktail party or some sort of party see that makes a perfect the backdrop of uh, <laughs> this film is the perfect situation to put a cassette into yeah. the hand of David Bowie this could be a deleted scene from it the Linguini really incident be, yeah. the, ma the majority of the action that takes place in the Linguini incident takes place in a large New York yeah. uh, restaurant called the, the, the Dali you know it's called the Dali because it's got big drippy clocks everywhere you look, and kind of lots of blues and golds, kind of kind of ornate kind yeah. of deck decoration, and nobody actually doing any drinking. At, at no point in this does anyone nearly die in a in a diving suit, but it's that sort of film. Somebody could have done easily, easily. Yeah. Lots of long lingering shots on the set. They've obviously spent a lot of time on the set. At one point, you went. This is halfway to being a fucking Peter Greenaway film. It was. It was exactly. <laughs> it was between Peter Greenaway and. That fucking Batman film with Poison Ivy. With the nipples. Is that the one with the nipples? Not Gaffer Tape Down. Val Kilmer. It's the Val Kilmer no, one. No, it was the it? it was the Clooney one, George Clooney. Oh god. It was that garish, <laughs> horrible, no natural daylight sort of scenario where everything is sort of echoing yeah. off the fucking. Endless toilets. You can just smell the sawdust. Yeah. Um so yeah, well, basically what happens in the first fifteen or so minutes of this film is you're just on uh, sort of steady cam weaving around yeah. uh, through this restaurant. David Bowie's nowhere to be seen, but you are seeing Roxanne Arquette in a sort of Betty Boop. Yeah. Betty Boo? Betty Boop wig. And, well, she looks like Lady Miss Keir. She's got that early 90s vibe. Delight were at the apex yeah, of their yeah. fame. She's wearing an so, yeah, band. Yeah. There's lots of baker foil. So the director clearly had one eye on the hit period. Well, Bowie's there. Of course he did. Well, actually, that's, that's no... That doesn't explain why. That explains nothing. It wasn't really a thing. <laughs> um, you belong in rock and roll, Dave. No, you don't. Um, Can I say, the poignant thing about that song is he's saying, you belong rock and roll, but so do I. He says plaintively. Like he's desperately trying to cl his claws way back is he singing into to, Is he singing popularity? to the Sales Brothers? Yeah. <laughs> you belong in rock and roll. Look at me. Sounds like he's auditioning for his own band. Aww. David Boy should never have to do that. Can I also add, David Boy is part of a band, just one of the boys. 
It's a ludicrous portrayal of the idea of David Bowie. David Bowie was never one of the boys. Also, he wrote all the songs. Yeah. So it's still his band. So it didn't make any sense. Let's give Hunt Sales one of the, 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 the gigs this time around. Um, right, so what did you think of the film, Joe? Well, I know I didn't love it as much as you did. Um, that would be impossible. But I, I, I got a lot from the film. Gonorrhea. Okay, well, listen, how many scenes did we rewind and rewind again? Laughing uh, till our uh, you know vitals dropped. This is a film that, in 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 its essence, isn't great, and in its expanse, it's not great. But some of the individual scenes are some of the best things. I've Absolutely ever seen good. In my life. And some of Boy's best acting slash worst acting. Yeah, you can see him acting all over his face. It's it's teeming like ants yeah, yeah, over yeah. his skin. The acting. You know, why some psychics claim they can see auras. Well, you can see Bowie's acting. <laughs> <laughs> it's emanating from, from him. space. It's it's astonishing. Um, um, John, okay, to answer your question, I did like it with caveats, but the caveats are are almost irrelevant. It's a big. The best thing I can say about it is it's not. It's not the film that the director thought he was making, but somehow it works in spite of that. I think it works retrospectively. Yeah. I think if you saw this at the time, David Bowie was still making films. I think I'm not sure whether or not he he's obviously done. He'd been the Goblin King with his Spanish. Oh, that was five years behind him at that stage. He was about to be American agent walking down a corridor in Firewalk. Um, this is the film he did in the middle. Yeah. And it's a sort of, it's something that's sort of in the middle of those two films as well. He's not quite cool, but he's not as laughably uncool as he was as the Goblin King, which I know people now think is cool, but it isn't. Um, um, well, it's, tr- it's troubling, that film, but that's another discussion. Um, I think. There are touches like the two there are touches. restaurant proprietors who walk around. They're like a little, like a like, like a kind of malevolence Rosencrantz and Gilderstein. They're, they're like a, a little great course. They walk around framing the narrative, talking out loud about what they're going to do. But, but it's also, and they're played by Buck, Buck Henry. Buck Henry. Who was a comedian, if I'm not much mistaken. And of on, note. Andre. Um, Gregory. My dinner at Andre. Oh, my, Andre. Oh, my dinner, yeah, dinner yeah. with Andre, yeah, yeah. With uh, Wallace Shawn, which yeah. is absolutely... Wallace Shawn is not in this movie. Uh, 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 he would have improved the movie. Which was a mistake. Um, the weird thing about that as well is that you don't give the chorus the power to change things. It's yeah. like they, they, the, the chorus, but they're also... The villains. And, and also the sort of machina... Uh, yeah. Uh, 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 Mich- I can't remember how you say it. We Deus Ex Machina. Deus Ex Machina. See, I used to say Machina, you said Machina. It's Gabriel's Gabriel's all over again. You know, let's call the whole thing. Deus Ex Gabriel's. Um, you know, they, they basically swan in at the end and change everything. They are uh, agents they, of the narrative. They're agents of chaos. Ten minutes, they're basically bollocking everybody in the restaurant. Miss Lucy owes us five dollars for being late. She said she wouldn't be late again. How sad. But wait, maybe there's a way she can earn it back. She can earn it back by telling us the lifetime batting average of Ty Cobb. Four million? Ooh, dear. Suddenly you owe us $10. <laughs> we should buy her a car. She seems upset. We can't do that. It would set a bad precedent. True. And where would she park it in this town anyway? <laughs> uh, this staffed entirely by sort of Betty Boo's backing yeah. dancers. Uh, and then finally, we find David Bowie at his station as a bartender, underlit, so you can see his ragged, funny-looking teeth. 
the original he still has his old teeth yeah, yeah, yeah. so that, that's quite telling as to when he got his new teeth Ricky Gervais canines so, so the Ted Machine uh, boy was the old boy teeth mm. I wonder what made him change that uh, well probably watching the Linguini incident coming out of being under let in the Linguini incident he looks weirdly pockmarked as well he, his skin's not looking great he actually looks his age in it with the ridiculously bouffanted hair and he's wearing what looks like um, the clothes of a roadie for Nine Inch Nails I think he looks really cool all the way through <laughs> yeah but that's what you think that is your acme of cool though John I am, I am from the 20th century rather than the 21st hey that guy's cool he's got boots and a hoodie yeah, yeah. wow he's wearing all black everyone in this film is wearing all black this has a vibe of an 80s film. Yeah, it does. It's like a Hal Hartley movie. It's got that stilted dialogue. It's got the coldness of New York. Everybody's always wandering around with like, you can see their breath, even when they're inside. Um, it ha- And it has a quirky central performance. Oh yeah, and, and the colours are muted. Yeah, yeah. Prince Stark. It's like, the, yeah. it's like an Enki Bilal comic book. It's like Desperately Seeking Susan. It's like um, a Jean Roland film. Yeah. Um, it's all... Set around effectively a trio, but there's two yeah. women and a man. Yeah, um, and the the girls are a sort of a unit. Yeah, and it's just a, it's a strange it's, it, setup. It's you lots know? of couplets and triplets yeah. interacting with each other, and then relating back to the the main the main the main plot, which is incidental and actually quite quite dull. There's something to do, there's something about Harry Houdini's wife's wedding ring. Yeah, hence Houdini and Co is one of the titles, and then there's another plot about a heist. Gone wrong in in the restaurant run by these two characters. These two characters played by Buck Henry and Andrew Gregory. By the way, I was thinking they're they're a combination of what do you call those two villains in Diamonds Are Forever, Mister Mister Winter, Mister Winter, Mister Kids, yeah, Mister Winter, Mister Kids, with a bit of Waldorf and Statler, and uh, just this odd but kind of slightly more fabulous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Their yeah. suits are a bit more a bit more outtrade. They're a bit more glamorous. There's more, you know, they're wearing a bit too much pan stick. Yeah. Uh, they're not quite real at any point. No, the whole thing has a sort of—it's like a Shakespearean comedy. You could there's like a little scene, and then it will go somewhere else, and then it will go somewhere else. Yeah, and people are shuffling off and going back on again. Um, it has that sort of weird bricolage yeah. of being just a load of scenes shunted together. And it does, but it, I think it's deliberately—it's trying to portray or capture, as it says, New York of the time. Mm. I think it thinks it's it's immersed in the the lingo and the media of New York, but it's. Not really necessarily. It has a lot of grotesque and interesting characters from the, I guess, the New York theatre scene. Then it's lots of small parts yeah. with interesting faces. Uh, with Roseanne Arquette and Bowie right stuck bang in the centre of it, and a Hungarian actress that uh, slash singer that uh, caught your eye, Esther Ballant. I think she's a cellist yeah. singer. Um, yeah, which brings me the New Yorkness of it brings me to our, I think our favourite scene. Which is you can hear you can see Coney Island in the background. Oh my god! The three main conspirators are plotting on the beach. Yeah. Uh, Esther is wearing, I think, a veil. And That's right. Yes, yes. At this point, so so desperately seeking Susan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you just see David Bowie marching from a really long way away. <laughs> it's a long shot up the beach, carrying three sticks of candy floss, lolloping from side to side. Bowie's a long, long way away. And he starts walking towards them to give them time to finish their scene. And the jauntiness and the candy floss and the things that are going through Bowie's mind, you can see him going, what the fuck am I doing? What the hell am I doing? And his walk gets jauntier and jauntier and it ends with, there you go, girls, candy floss. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like more and more business as he, the closer <laughs> he gets. He's kind of like, right, the camera's definitely seeing me now. I better do a bit more action. Start shimmying. The walk gets jauntier. It's a really long scene and they're talking a lot. So they're completely ignoring and he's just going, 
more and more I'm miming doing what he's doing now it's not good for the podcast Lucy have you ever felt like you could just lose control of your bladder wake up and smell the money Viv we're doing the right thing the decent thing we're in a town of scumbags and tricksters it's time we take some action morning ladies brought us a little snack keep our strength up don't eat die medical fact voila but then you move straight into the next most amazing thing, which is him revealing the gun. <laughs> David Bowie has... They're basically discussing the heist. He's, he's, he's got the gun. Yeah, yeah. It's attached to his chest with gaffer tape. He rips it off in a single sort of motion and screams, and he's not, he's not, un, he's not afraid to go big. No, no. He goes big. And then he just hands it over with these bits of gaffer tape shivering. <laughs> In his hand, his pubes still attached to them from his scrawny white chest. <laughs> it's quite one of the most remarkable scenes in cinema. This is, this is acting 101. They have a boy ripping the, the, the gun. It's a replica gun, as it turns out, so yeah. he, he needn't have hidden it in the first place. Um, in fact, it reminds me of the fact that, do you know that YouTube uh, montage of Nicolas Cage's best bits yeah. in a remake of The Wicker Man? This is all of this is due. This yeah. is due. There is a montage to be made of Bowie's best bits in the Linguini incident and right centrepiece of that is Bowie turning the camera lifting his jumper ripping the gun from its gaffed moorings from his chest howling like someone's just shot him through both feet and then casually turning around and handing the gun <laughs> with tapes still flapping He's as he said tapes yeah <laughs> on, on, on a Coney in the sea breeze on a Coney Island beach <laughs> to, uh, to Rosanna Arquette to an appalled Hungarian there you go jealous. girls there you go girls let's have the gun And then, and then it's pre- and then it's followed by the scene with the the, the, the hand coming in the balloon. Is that possibly the best well, scene? I, I don't think we can possibly recreate that. It just how best to describe that <laughs> um, for those cineasts out there. There's a wonderfully framed shot of Rosanna Arquette weeping and emoting and thinking, "I'm never, I'm never going to amount to anything." And then, apropos of nothing, boy's hand comes in, breaking through the frame from the bottom. Yeah. Like a little plant with a Kleenex in his hand, yeah. like the petals of a flower, and dabbing her face. Dabbing her sad, teary face. And then you cut, and his hand is at a completely different angle, yeah. leading to my suspicions that it's not Bowie doing this. This, we, is a, this is a shot that was done long before Bowie was in his trailer by this point. Believe me, John and I have rewound this scene more than once. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not wiping her face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Terry can get hunt sales to do it. <laughs> infections, infections. Yeah. But also, it's uh, it's kind of started off by the by the word boy is one word to say, which is piffle. <laughs> so, uh, piffle. Yeah, piffle is the word that yeah. introduces boy's hand into bloom and on the screen. We're not doing it justice. You have to see it. To, but it's like years later, it would be stolen by Alan Partridge. And that scene where he's yeah. pretending to be talking, he's pretending to. Um, well, you say we're not doing it justice. I mean, that's our one job here. Yeah, we're trying to sell this film. Well, I don't know why. why we're not taking money. Uh, we're just sharing the love. I believe it's out of copyright. I believe anyone can talk about it. And there, there, there is no. That's good to know. Copyright infringements on this. He said, laughing nervously. But you've not seen a long partridge where he's been uh, the cow's been dumped on him by the farmers, <laughs> and he's strapped to the uh, <laughs> the gurney, and uh, he's pretending to have a pint in the final shot. And it's someone else's, obviously someone else's hand coming in, blooming in the view. Yeah. 
as he tries to drink the pints. Um, it's not a, it's, it's, it's like an early version of that. It is quite the most remarkable scene. In, piffle, a, in, a fil- in a film that's full of yeah. remarkable scenes. Do you say Piffle instead of David Bowie? Oh, Piffle. Oh, Piffle. <laughs> With that much emotion as well. Hand blooms in. Look at that. <laughs> oh, Piffle. I'm not going near a tear ducts. I don't know where they've been. Although, John, there was also moments, it might have been even in that scene, where you were admiring Bowie's reaction acting. He was reacting uh, to Rosanna Arquette's acting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so quite like nice I touches. Said, it was Lovely touches. You could see that every muscle in his face <laughs> is sort of clenching at different points. It's like taking an x ray of his brain and seeing his thinking. Um, it's extraordinary. Look at that you know. acting gun. Look, Look at that acting oh, gun. He's underlit again and saying, He can't sit still, and, there, and therefore you have to look at him because he's David Bowie in the first As you also said, it's amazing how much Bowie disappears. As soon as he stops doing anything. And I think that's possibly why. I always think that pop stars aren't good actors. We watched, by the way, watched a Cliff Richard film immediately after yeah. this. Yeah. And Cliff's great. And you're watching Cliff. Dave, when he's not doing a load of business, yeah. isn't there. Cliff can act, though. Cliff is good. He's quite effortless, isn't he? Yeah, no, it's amazing. He's, he's a very firm, solid you, presence. You can tell boys just remembering his last acting class. He's like, Cliff yeah. can anchor a film. David's like, literally, if he's not vibrating... He's adrift. Yeah. He's, he's got, adrift. He's got nothing going on. Unlike his really, really staunchly coiffured hair. It is. It is stiff hair. It was my god. Oh my yeah. god! And, then, and it's a different style in every scene as well. That's a different thing. Well, he's a chameleon of rock. He's a, a tonsorially. He it, can't, you know, he can't do any acting. He's the chameleon but. of Linguini incident as well. And by the way, let us get back to the title. About four fifths of the way through the film, the two antagonists, uh, Buck Henry and Andre Gregory, start telling this story about the Linguini incident. Yeah. And everybody was going, "Here we go. We're going to have some payoff here," and it's just a MacGuffin. Just to buy time while we wait for the denouement with Bowie and Rosanna Arquette. Which features Marley Matlin wanting to give away a flower sack full of money and uh, Esther Ballant with a self-defence bra. She becomes known as the Cleavage Killer. That's right. I didn't get that until after, of course, because the knives pop out of her brassiere. Well, one of the catchphrases that comes away from this film is various people dressed as Abraham Lincoln. I'm not making this up. <laughs> uh, go into the camera... Look at those tits! Um, <laughs> Oi, babe! It's extraordinary. He wouldn't say that. Jewish Lincoln? Jewish Lincoln. Um, yeah, it's an amazing film. And, but there's lots of little vignettes of, of sassy New York life, like people complaining about their steak, or people, you know, being overly familiar with one of the waitresses. Or And then there, there's like there's that deaf actress from Marley the Matthew. 90s. Is that Marley Matthew? Yes, yeah. sorry. A bit of an aficionado of her. I'd never heard of her before. I wouldn't say I was an aficionado, but I have heard of her. Well, yeah, you're familiar with her work. Which, I was going to say something there, and I can't possibly say it. Why is it? It might be deafest. Um, She hasn't heard of me, is what I was going to say. All right, okay, okay. See, you you can let it lie. No, you made me say that. I didn't make you say anything. Now now I'm I'm against Marley Matlin. Um, I'm not. Call me. Speed speed dial. But she had to have... uh, There's an actor whose sole job was to sit next to her and explain what she's saying to the audience. Basically, who did you think that was? I thought it was Julian Sands. It wasn't Julian. I Sands. I thought it was an American Julian Sands. There can be no such thing. <laughs> well, exactly. Not there, more there English. Be, there can be no, no more English. You can't put an American in a linen suit yeah. like you can. With and Julian that guy Sands. was actually quite a good actor. So yeah, no, he was good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, but uh, then in the end credits, Julian Sands' name did pop up, which was weird. Which was very confusing. Uh, very confusing. But it's very much a Julian Sands kind of film. It's a very Julian Sands film. It's all I the can't hallmarks. Believe he didn't get in it. The colouring, the cinematography, yeah, the bad writing. Dare I say it sounded like a first draft of a script? I would say not even that. A proto draft? 
It's, the, it, the beer mats assembled together. Like, yeah, you, you, can, <laughs> you can smell the beer on on this script. You can smell, you know, the coffee rings, the Miller lights. I shouldn't um, wonder. Uh, I was on a train going to Dublin the other day, and they offered me, uh, and there was a trolley car service, and I said I had a beer, oh. and they only had Coors Light. What did you do? I went to the bar because uh-huh. I wasn't going to have that. And they only had Coors Light there as well? No, they had proper beer there. They had a full range? Yeah, full range. Coors Light on the trolley, though. So have they decided they've done some kind of they market research? They just realised that Coors Light people are just fucking lazy. They've done some market research and they realised Coors Light will do as we're shunting up the, up the mm. aisles. The more discerning connoisseur will make his way to the bar. It took me almost the entire journey to get back. With your... Well, what did you get in the end? Just a Carlsberg. A Carlsberg. Nothing fancy. Wow. But no, I'm not drinking Coors Light. John, it's just not going to I have to say, if your alternative was Carlsberg, I would, would have stuck to the Coors Light. It's much of a muchness. No, it's not. Coors Light's horrible. I'm amazed you went out of your way to get a Carlsberg. Oh, hello. So, There's Susan in the garden. That's just John's partner it, pottering it, in the garden. He's in the garden. Yeah. We're um, so professional. He's playing, also, it's called Monte. Yeah. And there's a terrible gag about Monte at the end, which is she's talking about going to... Monte Carlo, and he goes, "Hey, Monte Carlo." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he literally calls back on Monte Carlo. I, I, I had actually forgotten that. Thank you. <laughs> I could go to San Tropez, Monte. He goes, "Hey, Monte Carlo." Now you, you, we forgot to mention that he's actually pretty fucking sinister in this for the first third. Look, I really think that you should go out with me. Where would we go? Oh, I don't know. We could eat or fish or spin around or something. I can't go out for three days. Why? Have you been bad? I have a show to do on Wednesday. A show of what? I can't tell you. Right. Then let's go to breakfast and then you can go right back home and do whatever it is that you do do at home. Then. What are we gonna eat? We can't eat eggs. There's a salmonella scare. We can't... Porridge. We'll eat porridge. Maybe. I'll give you a call. Are you listed? You suggested that he looks like a sexual predator and acts like a sexual predator. What are the points? His, right, his modus operandi in this, that, that's entirely the wrong word. Um, his Basically, his plan in this is to get married. He wants to get a green card. But we don't know this initially. Everybody who comes near him initially goes, Hello, would you marry me? And his meat cute with Rosanna Arquette is uh, him pestering her to yeah. marry him several times she doesn't want to bar she rebuffs him, him. Yeah, yeah, there, yeah there is a rebuff she cycles off through a you know through smoke from a vent because it's New York um, then she goes home tries uh, sort of one of her Houdini tricks because she's an escapologist yeah it goes wrong she ends up being tied to her bed he comes round doesn't help her manacles himself to her and then they both fall asleep yeah but that's meant to be perceived as romantic and through the 90s the early 90s prism that might have been unproblematic but through our through our modern view of these things it's deeply deeply troubling you forget that the, the 90s was a long long time ago you know but I, that's I, not meeting cute that's failing to help someone but i can imagine how it might be seen as quirky and charming and putting uh, quote marks around that the worst thing is Esther turns up in the morning, unmanacles her, then before he wakes up, they are, call the police or do anything. They pick her about who wants to fuck him. <laughs> it is David. It was Butler, a long time, long time ago. Can I just read out what the Guardian have said about it? 
very briefly. What, you, you think we're not as good as a guard? No, no, just to see if you agree with this. Alongside Bowie, Roseanne Arquette plays a waitress, keen to leave the service industry behind and become an escape artist. The pair join forces to rob the chintzy establishment in which they both work, him hoping to finance a sham marriage for reasons simultaneously enigmatic and entirely unintriguing. Her keen to purchase an antique wedding ring, once owned by Harry Houdini's wife. It's the kind of premise that could apparently get a film greenlit in 1991, although it held no appeal for audiences. Director Dick Shepard later described the film's best review as coming from his father, who called it longish. It is longish. But that's not just a film, it's every scene. Every scene basically spools out for about another 50... Why did you read that out? That was just a description of the film. No editorial content. There, there's more to this. This touches on what we were saying. <clears throat> you, can just about, you can just about see what Shepard was aiming for, namely something approaching the surrealistic chic of Twin Peaks, which was then at the height of its powers. Instead, the stilted dialogue and static camera work leaves the Linguini incident feeling more like Invitation to Love, the intentionally gaudy soap opera watched by the characters of Twin Peaks. Oh, yes. Oh, okay. Is that what it is? Yeah. Um, and as I said, Bowie said he was quite happy. I don't think it is like that, though. I think no. It's, I think it's much more of a... a, a I do get the notes of Twin Peaks, though. I get the slight surrealist attempts. Yeah. Or the attempts at surreality. But it's much more sort of a, a Hal Hartley sort of vibe. Very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that sort of knowingly staccato sort of performance using non-actors and, and people who were, are foreign in lead yeah. roles and because there's, a, because there's a weird bit of distance yeah yeah you know cutting to the crowd to get their opinion on stuff you know i'm surprised it wasn't a dance routine actually yeah well boy does deploy some of his earlier mime skills and some of the scenes when he's doing the talent show auditions that's right he's never not working yeah. he's always reacting he's always yeah. reacting to rosanna raquette in the bag he's very good in that scene actually <laughs> he, actually, he has to he has to do all the heavy he's lifting the there. show it's yeah. four minutes of boy heavy lifting yeah and it looks like a strain <laughs> but yeah he gets through it yeah you have to forgive me uh, she's uh, she's very headstrong in that bag, and it's also. For, and then the end, he goes, "I'm sorry, the lesbians didn't like you, darling." <laughs> <laughs> he introduces himself as, "Hello, I'm Monty the Emasculated." His <laughs> <laughs> um, other great line is, uh, "What was it? Um, Why don't you set light to my balls with a match?" <laughs> <laughs> That's when he's being indignant. He feels hurt. Yeah, he, he has to express he's that. Been, basically, he, they, they've done the heist to get yeah, money yeah. so they can afford for him to get married yeah. to her. Hello, Bird. I'm not sure what she gets out of this. I yeah, yeah. she gets some money as well. Yeah. Um, but she, she gets a puncture or something, doesn't show up. Yeah. He sits there waiting for about seven hours. Uh, and at the end of it, he's indignant. So he says, why don't you... Why, why don't you sit light to my balls with them? <laughs> as he strays off. David, that was a beautiful scene. Why well, don't you? Do you remember the bit of James Mason I'm doing? Yeah, well, well, you always laugh in the Mason. Why don't you? You frequently laugh in yeah, the Mason uh, when doing boy and songs for that I might, matter. I might do it, yeah. That's a, yeah, it's the same thing. Do you remember the bit where he's making out with Rosanna Arquette in the cold room when he's meant to be attending to the heist? And he says, My God, you look extra nice in the cold. Almost Ukrainian. Next thing they're making out. Yeah, it's gems like that. that that's all it that's takes. What, that'll bring you crawling back. And then they're in the corner amongst the cold mates, and you, at the end of that scene, you actually said, My God, he still has chicken all over his hands. <laughs> you were horrified about the hygiene of the scene, as opposed to the, the kind of the dreadful kind of writing of the scene. Well, you know, salmonella is an issue. Yeah. Yeah, so I hope she That was the big crisis of the 90s. I hope she wanted to. Uh, and, and, and then as her friends, as it was Edwina Curry. <laughs> she would have been appalled looking on. <laughs> 
from uh, Gump Films of John Major. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, now, come on. I know, there, there, there was no good way to say that, Joe. Gumpfuls was not the good that way. That was not a good way to say it. And then, of course, uh, her friend's comments to Rosanna Arquette, after the meat locker scene, you just don't make out with someone in a meat locker you're indifferent to. Yeah. That's a lesson for her time. To be fair, she gets most of the best lines and she's That was a singer. She, she's also, I believe, a cellist. Are you just looking up notes now? I've just literally written some of the best lines from it on. <laughs> you, do, you do know how hard it is to escape from a straitjacket with tits. Yeah. That's the person, not the straitjacket. Um, she overcomes that obstacle though later on. Oh, at the end. Well, yeah, we, yeah, we, yeah. We, we don't want to spoil the end. Spoiler alert. I think I may have just spoiled the end. Look, uh, no one's, on the basis of this, no one's ever going to watch this film. Well, listen. You may as well just bury it in a lead well, canister now. Here, here, here's the arc. Bowie starts off as a cad. With a, with, a, with a secret past in England which he can't go back to which sort of goes away at the end yeah halfway through halfway through Rosanna Arquette falls for him then realises he's a cad and then in the latter half it's Bowie realising that he loves Rosanna Arquette but it's also putting her life in jeopardy by betting her life with the two main protagonists no but Joey she be- he believes in her because he because be- that's love and basically he distracts everybody she can do her escapology when no one's watching that's that's oh, a key oh, point. Well, you just killed you just killed the the key point of the plot of the story there, haven't you? Yeah. Again, I don't think it's an issue here. Uh, <laughs> no, no one's watching this film, um, but you should. Well, they um, I suspect they felt like they've seen it though. Yeah, I, I feel like they never want to see it again. And like somebody with salmonella all over their hands, yeah. they should go and have a hot bath right now. Needless to say, it has a happy ending. Uh, boy redeems himself. Uh, doesn't he always well it has an ending which is a happy occurrence yeah, yeah, yeah. in any place and, and the, the two schmucks uh, Henry and the Gregory the, the sleazy restaurant owners get a payoff. everybody walks away happy there is no actual moral arc to this you know everybody wins what's, nobody loses why is there a moral arc what do you mean well everybody comes away with what they want it's a happy ending then yeah I'm not I don't, I'm, yeah. it is totally, it's like it's Shakespearean it is like it's like one of his pastoral comedies. I didn't see that on the posters. Shakespearean, well, John Patrick. They, they should have that now. <laughs> um, it's like you know a series of vaguely unrelated events. Yeah, yeah. Um, All tied some, up at the some end. Some confusion. Yeah. A bit of a dance at the end. Yeah. But he, even the villains are lovable. You well, know, the, the villains come into their own. Yeah, yeah. They move from being the villains to being the agents of chaos. Yeah. To being a Deus ex machina at yeah. the end there. Everything is resolved. Everybody's but, happy. But you're happy whenever they get their payoff as well. You're happy when they don't lose. You're happy that the fact that they... That's because uh, Andre does some of the best overreacting to everything I've ever Forgot to His tell you. His laugh... Andre Gregory's... Is his own character. The, every time that laugh hits the screen, you're transfixed. Pins you to your seat. It's astonishing. Comes out of nowhere. <laughs> that's just an old soup song of what he does. And that's the sort of thing you do. No, that's just my normal I think chuckle. you're Andre. You that's remind my, me of Andre. That's my right chuckle. My dinner with Joe Noaz. Did you enjoy it? Yeah. <laughs> so, in the pantheon... I need to wash my hands. The pantheon of Bowie movies. <laughs> <laughs> and it is a pantheon, John. Is there a Pentachuk of Bowie, of Bowie movies? <laughs> How many has he made? Do you, uh, you get to this? Cliff's done 12. Uh, Bowie's done more. Because Bowie's done films you would be surprised about. Bowie did a spaghetti I'm western. I'm surprised about this one. He did an Australian spaghetti western in the 90s. He did a film where he plays a dead kindly neighbour. Do you remember that one? A dead kindly neighbour. Do you remember I sent you a link to it? Mr. Jones's Ashes or something? Oh yeah, I haven't seen this film though. Um, a dead kindly neighbour. <laughs> the best kind. So there's the prestige, there's the hunger, there's the Twin Peaks. Have you Merry seen Christmas. the prestige? 
Yes. He's great in that. That's probably his best role. I would imagine so. Isn't he Judas Iscariot, though, at some point? No, he's Tesla. No, not in that film. In no, he's Pon- Pontius Pilate. He's Pontius Pilate, yeah. right, yeah. He washes hands of that role, though. Not long after. Good Lord. I know, I know. Good Lord. He's done... Oh, he did, he did the film, which I have on DVD, called Everybody Loves Sunshine. Called Release Barrels. Starring Goldie. Goldie and Bowie. Goldie? Yeah, Bowie plays... Not Goldie Horn. No, Actual Goldie. No, no, Goldie, full right. stop. Okay. <laughs> Goldie, Goldie Horn. Goldie Horn would be nice. Uh, that would be delightful. It's a good match. A bit of vintage. Where is this film? Yeah, he was in Gunslinger's Revenge. He was in Lovers on the Bridge, which I'm not familiar with. He was in Twin Peaks, obviously. He was in a film called Magic Hunter. No, I don't know. Yeah, straight straight the video. How can I... How, see, I wrote a film for David Bowie called Jonestown. Yeah, which I see is, what you did there. Which is uh, was my version of The Wicker Man, but with the old religion replaced by loving David Bowie. Yeah. And there was a cameo for him in that film. How did I never get David Bowie? If I got David Bowie on board, did you get a hold it of sounds him? like he'll do anything. Did you get a hold of him? No. But apparently he'll do it. Mr. Rice's Secret. That's the film I was talking about. A mawkish romantic drama. No one has ever gone, Mr. Rice's Secret. was quite so much passion, Joe. Yeah. Quite something. There is a small boy suffering from Hodgkin's disease. <laughs> and his neighbour is Mr. Rice, played that, by David Bowie. Mysterious neighbour, Mr. Rice, who dies. Then comes back at the end. Is, to the, give him is the rice symbolic? Possibly. Is it like packing your phone? It just brings it back to well, life. Well, it, it drives it and revivifies it. Yeah, yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what happens to the small yeah. boy. So Bowie's been in a lot of films, is what we're saying. In the pantheon of Bowie, in the canon of Bowie, Bowie okay. cinema. Yeah. Um, I think it's not a terrible... Has he been in a good film? I would hazard... I would, I would offer that Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence is a film that I quite like. Hmm. I do like the book as well, so I may, I may be biased. I quite, like, I quite like the music. Music's good. The music's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but not done by Bowie. I mean, but we're not thinking that uh, the Man Who Fell Earth is quite good, I suppose. That's the one you don't. If, if you uh, like that, that's sort of, sort of untouchable. That one in terms of you, you can't say you don't like it. Well, it's David Bowie playing David Bowie. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's good casting for David Bowie. Mm. I would suggest that this is good casting for David Bowie. He's slightly too old for this role. He's meant to be kind of a bit of a caddish barman. The two women are in their mid twenties. He's yeah. forty-four. He's clearly my age, our age, yeah. in it. That was nice of you. I very generously added you. Yes, included. Is that a nice afterthought there on my, on my part? He's clearly slimmer than I am, but uh, he's clearly a man of an age, he, and, yeah. and the women in it are clearly of a different age. Yeah, um, and it begs the question: What are you doing, this English guy, in his in his mid to late forties? Working bar, trying to pick up much younger women. But then again, you're, you're you're forgetting this was in the 20th century when that sort of thing was fine. You're forgetting breaking into Rosanna Arquette's apartment and handcuffing her to a bed was also seen as charming. It is charming. Yeah, it's meeting, unpredictable. It's unpredictable. Meeting, it's meeting cute. Yeah. Um, how do you meet? Well, it's a funny story. I uh, broke into her apartment and I handcuffed myself to her, and then I fell <laughs> and then I fell asleep. Yeah. And then uh, she couldn't go to the toilet because I was asleep and she pissed herself. No, yeah. she does. She makes it to the toilet. That is actually that's a plot point. Yeah, yeah, it's a plot yeah, point. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, I think we've said about as much as we can say about this. Right? Um, but do we like it, John? Yeah. <laughs> Would you watch it again? <laughs> yeah, uh, I'd watch it now. If I may say to our listener, um, after we finished watching it, or even halfway through it, you were on Amazon. I was like, "What are you up to?" You're like. Uh, I'm seeing if I can find a copy of this, of course. Mm. I don't know why you suddenly sound like a bit like David Bowie, but... Uh, well, because I, I do sound... Then I, then I offered you my copy, and okay. you were like, 
Are you prepared to give this away? I took the hand off you, Jim. <laughs> I took the hand off you. Um, I, I, I would say any time I'm not watching this film is wasted time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there will never come... It, because, so this is wasted because, time. Right. That, there is a thing, right? Basically, I thought after the first 10 minutes of this, who is this rubbish for? Yeah. Right? And at the 25-minute interval, I knew exactly who this was for. It was for fucking me. He made this for me. This is Bowie's gift to the J-Man. The man of the bird. Yeah. Um, because no one else in the history of the world is going to get this film as much as I do. It's, yeah. it's ticking every one of my boxes. Yeah. But it, it, it's quite rich in ludicrous detail. Yeah, and I'm a very <laughs> ludicrous man and I'm a very detailed man. There's a lot going on there. This is his gift. To, this is like somebody slipping a box of milk tray under your door and going, yeah. that's for you. I've got to say, I did enjoy Bowie acting, quote marks, because he acts his socks off in this, whether it's for the better or the worst, it, I, I, I don't want to speculate, but you can see him acting. It's, there's something really enjoyable about watching Bowie deploying his obviously recent acting training in a film role. It's and he one, gives it his all. It's one of those films where I suddenly wanted to be in that place. It's like when you watch a film that's set in the, in the 60s in Paris, you want to be there. When you're watching a film that's set in the 80s in New York, you want to oh, be there. Oh, totally. it's totally. If I saw it on Channel 4 late night on a Friday night coming back from the pub I would be transfixed by this the other small detail that he was obviously making the second Tim Machine album at the time Gabrielle's is somewhere in that audience and man is somewhere in the big restaurant audience scene at the Julian end Julian Lennon apparently Julian Lennon didn't although he went on past didn't see him unless he was the that fat woman with the ventriloquist dummy unless he was the ventriloquist dummy and there's some nice little bits and pieces yeah. the, the woman singing on the stage in the nice you know tremulous voice it's the, there's lovely little bits and pieces in there Dick can do it I just think he needs a better editor but I'm glad he didn't get one well Richard because, Shepherd because for me this sprawling mess is exactly what I wanted to see it's barely first draft too many characters too many bits in it not enough kind of clear thinking about where the narrative's going or the plot's going it's somehow it's a series of delights which is why yeah, we it's paused it's magic but we like, we actually, I'm actually turning myself into a massive Linguinian fan talking mm. about it. There were how many times did we pause and rewind specific scenes? I think we watched two or three scenes four or five times yeah, yeah, back yeah. to back. Just fact, hooting with laughter. Well, I admitted a laugh I'd never admitted before. It was an admission. It was an admission. It was a police matter, that laugh. They were at the door. Are you all right <laughs> in there? <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's fine, officer. He just... Yeah. Again, the the 20th century was a long time ago yeah. now. Piffle. Piffle. Uh, piffle. Um, wonderful film. A bad film? Certainly. A, 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 a triumph? Absolutely. It's, it, it straddles that whole... People go, well, you only like shit films. I don't like shit films. I don't yeah. like boring films. This never bored me. First 10 minutes is a murky swamp of misery because Bowie's not on the screen yet. As soon as Bowie's in this film, it's a film. In a silver waistcoat. Yeah, with immaculate hair. With ironclad hair. With, that never moves for the and first I've, ten minutes. I've got to say, John and I had never heard of the director, Richard Shepard, and I assumed one of these guys who managed to get a bit of budget, a bit of private backing, got a big star, Bowie, and built a film around that. But I'd say it's a proper movie. And he's a proper director. He's went on to direct a lot of quite big films, including The Matador, a film that I quite like. And he's made lots of big TV shows as well. Richard Shepard's had a career... After the Linguini incident, which, um, frankly speaking, a lot of people might say, well, a lot of people would be surprised by that. This film did not destroy anyone's career. No. How many films can you say that about? Well, probably quite a few. Can I, can I tell you something that's quite shocking? What? I've not seen My Dinner with Andre. I'm not shocked because you've already told me this, but... Uh, this is for the... Look, 
I mean, we'll, this we'll is this podcast. Joe. We'll, cut, we'll cut this that out. revelation. Sorry, let's do that. Let's do that again. What you've never seen dinner with Andre? I've never seen you of all people, John. Uh, me of all people. You're familiar with the premise of it. P- people are having dinner with Andre. That, well, a man is. What is Sean is having? What is Sean is having dinner with Andre? Philosophical debate. So he's trying to ask him. He's trying to plug into his humanity and Andre Gregory's a preening, pontificating uh, kind of uh, nar- narcissist. And there's somebody the tension between those two is enjoyable. It's like whenever you let me swimming with sharks. Sound, Sorry, swimming to Cambodia, not swimming with sharks. This sounds exactly like every one of our conversations. And yeah, I but, still haven't seen it. Yeah, but who's Wallace Shaw in our conversations? I think we all know. We all know who that is, yeah, don't yeah, we, John? Yeah, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, I think we both agree that it's it's up there. It's not quite the man <laughs> who fell to earth. But it's definitely the man who fell to uh the Bronx. Yeah. Or Manhattan. Manhattan. The man who fell to Manhattan. The man who fell to Manhattan. With ironclad hair and a terrible waistcoat, yeah, and a slightly could, unfortunate way around woman. Presumably, bounced off his hair, and that's why. He, well, that was shattier spine, John. There's no way. Don't think around this. Can I just add one more bit? Do you remember the bit where he's on the phone back home, back home to England? Yeah, and he puts on a voice. <laughs> so cockney voice, and he starts. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Because <laughs> he's a bad boy. So he chews some. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's married. Yeah, he's good. Yeah, the kids. All right, we not don't do that. Yeah, the wolf, the wolf, and kids too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't worry. Sweet as a nut. Sweet as a nut, Billy. Sweet as a nut. All right, Twinkle. Unbelievable. Layers of Bowie. There's a lot of Bowie there. Yeah, yeah. I'm not one headless guitar inside. Spiraling out of control at that. Very well, it's in without Hunt Sales, and you nearly get away with it, but he's there, banging a little drum. He actually hits a drum at the end, doesn't he? Looking like a very strange man. I'm just um, glad it wasn't called Shagarama whenever we got our hands on it because that was a very silly title. Yeah, but no more silly than the Linguini incident, really, when it turned out. The spaghetti of it. Again, I like <laughs> I like the idea that, you know, the, the time makes no sense, the film makes no sense. Yeah. None of it really makes any sense. Yeah. But as a collection of objects compressed together, it makes perfect sense. It is its own thing. It's kind of like Linguini. It's on the its, lingui- on its don't, own. No, don't try and do this. <laughs> Don't do this. Can I not fashion a Linguini metaphor out of this? We should uh, have done, right, we should have done the two of the films yeah. uh, um, and taken, like, the spaghetti incident would be the the, uh, the Cliff Richard film set in Birmingham. Yeah. We could have pulled that into Spaghetti Junction. We'd have ended up with a Linguini spaghetti Very good. conundrum. Um, and, uh, but we didn't. We ended one film because we're lazy. Yeah, because we're past our bit. Um, but, uh, yeah, we'll probably do, a, we'll probably do uh, Take Me High by Cliff Richard another time because that's a great, great film. It's a really good film. I, I mean... Uh, you were really surprised. I was actually delighted by the music and the acting. Yeah. Uh, and Bifle Debbie Watling, who in each shot looks like a different human being. It's remarkably fun. Madeline Smith, very underused as and usual. Purely, purely utilised, purely utilised. But Cliff Richard can act. Two things I learned about Cliff Richard from watching that was, and it might have been the wine. <laughs> Cliff can act, and boy, does he put the Indian into Anglo-Indian. Wow, yeah. Good grief, I've never seen it before. It's extraordinary. And now it's all I can see. I can see him captaining Pakistan I can't believe, this is a th- for another failed test series. I, 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 I can't believe that I had to show you the Indianness of of. Cliff Richard. Sometimes it takes an outsider. But the Cliff film, this is a trailer for our next podcast, which is going to be about Take Me High, the Birmingham set Cliff Richard romantic musical comedy about, drama. About, about hamburgers. It's romantic, it's musical, it's comedy, it's dramatic, it's, it has burgers in it. And the end, the whole of Birmingham comes to life to celebrate uh, reclaimed meat products. Isn't that how it ends? Me- mechanically retrieve meat, yeah. Mechanically uh, retrieve meat. Oh, no, well, and George Cole is involved. Mechanically retrieved me and, and George, George Cole. Cole. <laughs> that sounds like Minder. 
That's the plot of Minder. And what a fitting way to end this podcast about the Linguini incident. All right. Anyway, Linguini incident, very good. Watch it, guys. Uh, it's not a, a stain on Bowie's uh, memory. And we should know. It's not stained on his memory. What? Why would you oh, the say memory, that? The memory that's, of Bowie. That's damning it with faint praise. Well, there's loads of stains. There's loads of cinematic stains on the bed sheet of, of the memory quilt of David Bowie, isn't there? The memory quilt of David Bowie's... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> so I think I said that, that right. That was supposed to be a tidy ending, and now it's just a horrible. That I've got to spoil it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By saying something stupid like Bowie's memory quilt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, let's let's draw a veil. Let's draw a memory quilt over this whole yeah. thing. Fancy going to Monte Carlo for a jaunt. Monte Carlo. <laughs> uh... Cue the music. Ladies, this is absurd. You are both so unutterably beautiful. Why don't we do the sophisticated thing and all sleep together?
really sorry the lesbians hated you. I'm 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 really sorry the lesbians hated you. 